Friends, it's no secret that Christian nationalism is on the rise and threatens the rights of all of our neighbors. You also know I'm a big believer in shared values over shared beliefs, and you know that we are committed to working together with all kinds of folks to protect democracy in 2023. That's why I'm proud to let you know about the Summit for Religious Freedom hosted by Americans United taking place in Washington, D.C. April 14th through the 16th. I'm going to be there, and I'm so excited because keynote speakers include Anthea Butler, author of White Evangelical Racism, who we've had on the show before, and Representative Jamie Raskin, a vocal opponent of authoritarianism and Christian nationalism. The Summit for Religious Freedom is a big tent full of all kinds of people from different walks of life and holding different beliefs, uniting under the shared value of protecting the rights of all of our neighbors. So grab a ticket, let's hang out and learn all about the ways we can resist Christian nationalism and protect freedom for all. Go to the srf.org for more information. And if you can't make it in person, that's okay. You can always grab a digital ticket and join us from virtually anywhere. Get it? That's T-H-E-S-R-F dot org, hosted by Americans United for Separation of Church and State, April 14th through the 16th. I'll see you there. Hi, friends. I'm Tim Whitaker, and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. My name is Tom. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I donate to the New Evangelicals. The Pentecostal Christian fundamentalism of my childhood insisted that I could not be both gay and Christian. For over a year and a half, I participated in an ex-gay Lavian program that tried to rid me of my gayness. I left the group as a gay man and rejected my Christianity. But in time, I could no more stop being Christian than I could stop being gay. The Jesus heart drew me back to Christian story and symbol. Embarrassingly, not until my mid-40s did the blatant obviousness of it all speak to my heart as if from a burning bush. I get to decide if I'm a follower of Jesus. No one else gets to decide that for me. That realization was my true born-again experience. The New Evangelicals welcomes all seekers and they welcome questions. The fundamentalist idolatry of right belief and its arrogant adherence to a creed frozen in time eclipse the true Christian message. I support the New Evangelicals because they understand that. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I brought on Andrew Seidel. He's a constitutional lawyer. He's written some amazing books, including The Founding Myth and American Crusade. And I brought him on to talk about what is going on with Trump being kicked off the ballot. Give me the legalese. Give me the the behind the scenes stuff that's going on. How did Colorado decide this? Why is it happening in Maine as well? And all of a sudden, it seems like I'm hearing a lot of stories about other states considering the same thing. I think up 
we're up to 30 now, which is wild. So I brought him on to talk about that. Hopefully this helps you better understand what's going on instead of just relying on news headlines, which don't always tell the full story. As always, friends, thank you so much for being here. If you want to support the work that we do, you can donate via the link in our show notes. We are a nonprofit and crowdfunded organization, which means because of your generosity, I can bring guests like Andrew to you. So feel free to donate and share this episode wherever you find it. I will talk to you all later on. Enjoy this conversation with Andrew. All right, Andrew Seidel, great to have you back on the show again. This is the third time, so you should feel very honored about that. Very few guests come on for three times or more, so it's good to have oh, you on. Oh, that's very I'm exciting. Say, you know, one more time, and I think I get one of those like robes that they give out to the SNL guests that do like yes. the four. <laughs> yes. Add that to your swag list, and I'll be expecting <laughs> We're, we're going to okay. make some custom pins, you know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to cut right to the chase here because you've been on the show before. Uh, people, and I'll, I'll put the previous episodes in our show notes here. You're, you're uh, a writer. You were, uh, I think, well, you are a constitutional lawyer, but the work you do now is with the Americans United uh, talking about stuff that, that we're going to talk about today in a more um, maybe boots on the ground and down to earth way for us common folks who look at things like law and go, nah, not for me. So um, <laughs> it, it's, it's great to have you truly. Um, yeah, let's just start here. The whole point of me getting you on was I was also alive when I heard the news breaking that you know trump was kicked off the ballot in colorado and then i think a, a week or so later maine kicks trump off the ballot and i'm like okay what is happening here and frankly let me just be put my cards on the table i'm someone who believes in democracy like you do and whenever anyone gets kicked off a ballot no matter who they are i'm always like okay um how does this sure. work so give us let's just start real broad what actually happened in colorado and maybe maine and then we'll go from there sure so Colorado, uh, the the court there, the Supreme Court issued a 133 page opinion in a four to three decision that disqualifies Trump from the Colorado ballot under Section three of the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, and the opinion it was written by by four justices. None of them took ownership of it. No particular author was named. Uh, the case was brought importantly yes. by registered Republican. And unaffiliated voters. And they challenged Trump's candidacy because only, quote, qualified candidates can be placed on the ballot under Colorado law. All right. So this is not about crime and punishment. This is not about somebody violating the law. This is about whether or not somebody is eligible to be on the ballot. Uh, and so the decision disqualifies Trump from that ballot. It means that the Colorado Secretary of State, quote, may not list President Trump's name on the 2024 presidential primary ballot, and she can't count any write-in votes that are cast for him. Um, and obviously, that same thing would hold true for the general election. And then, as you said, the main Secretary of State, so this is not a court in Maine, but the, the main Secretary of State herself, kind of held a similar proceeding, also uh, brought by uh, voters who challenged Trump's candidacy and his eligibility to be on that ballot. And she made a similar finding, again, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Okay, first question about Colorado. Yeah. Um, I, I read this, not sure if it's true. I think the organization that brought the case, did, did it have to be Republican registered people who brought the case against a Republican candidate or could it have, could it, it have been anyone? It probably could have been anyone, but it's. I mean, it's helpful when we're talking about. Right now, we're still talking about the primary, right? So it's the it's the the primary ballot. So it's the Republican Party's 
vote, but that's managed by the state. And that, that does get a little confusing. So we're not, yeah. necess- we're not yet talking about the general election, though this same kind of rationale is going to apply to the general election. Wait a second. Sure. Hold on. Pause right there. I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. Maybe, maybe, wow, maybe I, I did misunderstand then. This is not about the election happening in 2024 nationally. This is about just him being able to be voted on in the primaries for his own party. So far, yes, but it will it will it will apply the exact same thing. It will apply to the general ballot too. So let me do let me let's do a little deeper dive on on the law, and I think you'll I think you'll get Please a little bit. Please educate me. Clear. Okay, okay. So <laughs> and, and legally, this really isn't all that complicated. There's a lot of nonsense flying around that is overcomplicating it, and it's because people have other interests in talking about this. But it's people who want to hold office. In the United States, they have to meet certain basic requirements, okay? And, and for presidency, those are spelled out in the Constitution. You have to be 35 years or older, okay? You have to be a natural-born citizen of the United States. Remember, Donald Trump infamously tried to cast some doubt on Obama meeting this qualification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to be a resident for 14 years, okay? So those are like the three ones and very rarely is an issue, though there are people who have tried to run for president under the age of 35 and not been allowed on the ballot, not natural born citizens like Arnold Schwarzenegger, not allowed on the ballot. Um, and all of that kind of pops up in in, in the constitution itself uh, under article two. That's the original constitution. But you may remember, Tim, I don't tell me if you remember this. We had a okay. pretty bad war in this country. Um, some people wanted to own other people. Is thing this ringing a bell for you? Well, um, I was homeschooled, so only vaguely. Something okay. about states' rights mainly. Uh, not not entirely. Right, those <laughs> the people who were owned wanted to be free, um, and oh, there was an okay. insurrection, a civil war, an attempt to tear apart the union in the name of owning human beings. A lot of yes, died. yes, um, yes. It's coming it, back to me now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And if you are listening and want to try to tell me that the civil war was about states' rights, like Tim just joked, and not slavery. You you can come at me on social media, but just be prepared. You will lose. Anyway, um, this was a bad war. And, and that led right. us to pass right. some important amendments to our constitution. We banned okay. owning people. Way to go us. We also yeah. realized that if our government was going to survive and function and not get taken over by those traitors who wanted to own people, that we had to do something else. And so Congress passes the 14th Amendment and Section 3 in it is specifically passed to disqualify insurrectionists from holding public office. And and the rationale here is really, really simple. If you swore an oath to the Constitution, and then you violated that oath by waging war or insurrection against the Constitution, you can't be trusted with public office. That's the basic concept that we are focused on. This is not that hard. And the language, I I will read to everybody right now, but I'm going to trim out the kind of useless, the parts that don't apply to Trump. So here's what the 14th Amendment says. No person shall hold any office, civil or military, under the United States who, having previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Okay, so that's what it says. And then it also has this little nice note on the end. But Congress can vote by two-thirds of each house to remove that disability. Okay, yeah. so so the text I, here is I like I am fact checking you. I was reading along, and you were right. That is what it says. <laughs> that is what it says. Just so you know, I, I, for, I did edit it, but it's all that it's all. Yes, correct. it's all there though. That's um, right. And the te- so the text is pretty clear. You can't be president if you engaged in insurrection, and Trump did just that 
on January 6th. And, and that is what the Colorado Supreme Court found. And I think the conclusion there is there's pretty un, inescapable, really. I mean, Trump is not eligible for office again. And, and there's just the, the one final piece of the puzzle to kind of, again, m- make people understand why it's a Colorado court that can do this and why it's a main secretary of state is that under Colorado election law, and uh, there's an equal provision under main election law, only, quote, qualified candidates can be placed on the ballot. It is the job of the secretary of state to determine whether or not somebody meets the age requirements and the natural born citizen requirements and the residency requirements and the insurrection requirements. We don't have to do that normally because we don't have insurrections in this country very often. So legally, this is really basic stuff. This is something that Germany did after World War II to recover from the Nazi regime. We have disqualified Mm. lesser candidates already. Um, Cui Griffin in New Mexico. There have been a a handful that we've done. And I mean, this is really, this is historically, this is how everybody at the time of the Civil War understood this. This was an automatic disqualification for public office. Um, You know, all the former Confederates who took the oath to support the Constitution before the Civil War pretty much understood that they were disqualified under Section 3, and they didn't seek office in the first place. Thousands of them were asking for amnesty um, under that last sentence that we read, and Congress eventually issued this blanket amnesty to to everybody except for the leaders of the Confederacy. You know, people like like Jefferson Mm -hmm. Davis in 1872, they issued this blanket amnesty. But the point is... This is basic, this is easy, and this is automatic. This is We're not talking about crime and punishment. We're talking about when someone promises to uphold the Constitution and then commits an insurrection and violates that oath, they can't be trusted to hold office again. And our Constitution clearly says, nope, they cannot be trusted. We're not going to do it. That's where we are. Okay, that's helpful. To be, let's get just very granular for one yeah, second. The term insurrection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, as you know, Andrew, I've been to places like America Fest by Turning Point. I follow that world very closely. I know you do as well. Um, just so we're all clear, because I'm sure some people who might be maybe not so convinced of the term and that Trump committed it. How do, how is insurrection defined in a case like this? And then what are either the series of actions or the action of Trump that actually makes him guilty, so to speak, of insurrection, right? Like, for example, not conce- saying I think the election was still, was still stolen is probably not, not, not the same thing as working behind the scenes with people to try and overturn the election process, right? So one might be considered insurrection, while the other one is just Trump saying whatever he wants. How is How are we using the term insurrection here in this case? Yeah, great question. Um, and I, I would really encourage people who are curious about this. Um, the Colorado Supreme Court opinion is for a legal opinion, it's pretty good. Uh, and, and by that, lawyers are the worst. I will be the, I'll be the first lawyer to admit it. We are, we are the worst. It's, we love we love to sound smart. We like to overwrite things. And and the opinion is pretty accessible. I think the Colorado court knew it was this was going to be an opinion that a lot of people were interested in who who are not lawyers. And I think they wrote it with an eye towards yeah. that. So, right. and the, the court does define insurrection in that opinion. And 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 just just so people understand, like. This is a court that that held a trial, the trial that lasted five days and then had another day for closing statements. There were hundreds of exhibits. And at the end of Trump, uh, the trial, Trump's team introduced, I think it was exhibit 1083. OK, like that, that's, the trial transcript wow. runs to 2117 pages. Right. That, wow. Tons of witnesses like this. was, And one of the things that the court looks at is, well, what actually is an insurrection? And what did they mean when they put the word insurrection and engaged in insurrection in the 14th Amendment, in the text? And so the court lays out a bunch of different 
kind of options because violence is on a spectrum, right? You have uh, you have a riot to a mob to an insurrection to a civil war, right? Like where on the, that spectrum kind of is is this falling, and what did Trump do to aid or quote engage in that? And, and the, the court does a really, I think, great and convincing and persuasive job laying that out. Um, and, and um, here, let me, I have it right here. Hang on. Uh, Great. Okay. Yeah, so pull it up. insurrection is distinguished from route riot and defenses connected with mob violence by the fact that in insurrection, there is an organized and armed uprising against authority or operations of government. While crimes growing out of mob violence, however serious they may be, however numerous the participants are simply unlawful acts in disturbance of the peace that don't Hmm. threaten the stability of the government or the existence of political society, right? And the purpose of the January 6th attack of that insurrection was to halt the peaceful transfer of power. Yes. And that is something that has never happened in the history of the United States. And in fact, the the peaceful transfer of power is is kind of the hallmark of American democracy, of the American experiment. It's it's one of the things um, that we revere George Washington for kind of above all else, not just that he only sought office for two terms, but he ensured the peaceful transfer of power. And we had this string, unbroken string of peaceful transfer of power until Donald Trump incited the January 6th insurrection. Hmm. Okay. So, so first you, you, you have January 6th meeting that definition. And then the second part is, well, what did Trump do to make that happen? What did he do to aid that, to engage in it? And the court goes back, looking all the way back through the election um, and and showing what Trump knew and when he knew it and what his rhetoric was doing to inflame these people, to get them to do this march, to to get them to engage in this violence. Um, And then, you know, we have we have him now promising to pardon these people, which I think you could still you can still envision is even like part and parcel to that long, long chain of events. But the the court does a really, really convincing job of laying all that out. Hi, I'm Dr. Jennifer Bird. I'm a biblical scholar. And long story short, the reason I became a biblical scholar is I had been a very conservative evangelical Christian, and then I had a chance to learn more about the Bible, and it changed everything about the way I engage the Bible. As an educator at heart, I actually wanted to help others find similar freedom and more loving ways of engaging the Bible. So that's what I do. I'm interested in helping others learn how to engage the Bible without harming themselves or others, basically, put short. And that is at the heart of what I see TNE doing on various levels here, specifically being committed to the values of love, justice, inclusivity, and non-dehumanization. I could not be more excited about the work TNE is doing, and I could not be more supportive of Project Amplify. I hope you will consider joining the movement and helping us make things happen. Okay. If my audience is anything like me, they see some headlines, they try and read, but it's like, okay, I just have a lot of questions. I don't have hours of time to to dedicate to pouring into the content. One last question about this. This this, this might be kind of a curveball for you, but I I did think about this first and foremost. A lot of times the argument that I hear from people in some of these more far right spaces about like maybe the second amendment, right? It's like, look, the wording is clear. You know, uh, we have a right to keep and bear arms, et cetera. And then here it's, it's uh, what might, 
might look as clear, but maybe it's not. So a lot of times the the rebuttal I hear is like, well, the Second Amendment, like things change and like how they thought about about keeping and bearing arms then is different now. So what would be maybe the argument of like why the insurrection we're talking about now is is what the framers maybe had in mind when or whoever it was that, that ratified this. You know, it's the same it's the same thing instead of appealing to well, the insurrection that they were thinking of back then is very different than what they're think, they're, they're thinking about now. Does, does does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean I think it's going to be I think that's certainly going to be one of Trump's arguments. In fact, it it it, it has been. Um mm. I mean, you know, another way that the court boiled it down was they they sort of asked it as a question. Um did the events of January 6th constitute a concerted and public use of force or threat of force to prevent the government from accomplishing that peaceful transfer of power. And they, they had little, right. little difficult. And, and that's, that's what courts are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to kind of boil these things down to their basics so that we can apply them throughout time. But there's also a theory that, um, conservative lawyers and legal scholars love um, called originalism. Um, and it's, it's sort of yes. offshoot called textualism. Um, and it's got a lot, it's got a lot of overlaps with, um, you know, conservative evangelicalism. Like there's this, this reverence for text, um, this sort of loathing of heretics and people who might go outside the text. It's written, there's, I, I've written about this kind of extensively, but um, this is, the Colorado opinion is as originalist and textualist as an opinion as you can get. Um, hmm. So anybody that wants to say that's not what the framers or founders understood at the time, uh, the framers of the 14th Amendment, is going to have a really, really, really hard time wiggling out of that. And let me give you let me give you one example um, that, that's that's pretty concrete. Um, one of the rebuttals that the Trump team has been using is that Section Three does not mention the president explicitly. Mm. Um, therefore, it doesn't apply to the president. Now, just pause for a second and appreciate that that's an absurd argument um, because that means that every insurrectionist who swore an oath is barred from office except the highest office and most powerful <laughs> office in the land. Like, it, 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 right. it, on its face, it makes that, that interpretation makes no sense. Um, but, you have very, very clear language saying office under the United States. So is the president going to be in office? It's yes, it's it's absolutely clear. You can look at, for instance, the impeachment clause, um, which says disqualification to hold any um, or enjoy any office of honor, public trust or profit under the United States. Right. So same exact language telling us that, yes, we know this is what they meant. Same thing for the ban on religious tests for public office in Article six, clause three. No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Right. And that right. applies to the presidency. We've always understood right. it. So so we know that this includes presidency. And then you also have these really cool things where you can go look at what they were saying during the debates of the 14th Amendment. And this is what originalists don't typically like to do, but it's, it's this kind of shows why it can be instru instructive. Because um, there's this moment in the debate over this provision of the 14th Amendment. And one senator says, hey, uh, I think we might have left out like president or vice president in this mm. by accident. Maybe we should add that. And another senator gets up and he's like, uh, bro, let me call your attention to the words, hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. Like, that's a catch-all, my man. And the right. first senator is like, oh, my bad, I was right, wrong. Right. Like, like, yeah. And you have this yeah. – and it's like, 
we know they meant to include it because not only are the words clear, but they also told us to during the debate. Um, mm. So it, 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 I think you, you are going to have a very, very difficult time uh, saying that this is not a reflection of what the founders intended. Plus, again, mentioning, you know, all the thousands of people that assumed they were disqualified at the time. Yeah. Okay. That's, again, very helpful. A couple more questions and I'll let you go. Yeah. My next one is I, I've noticed that that the Trump team is really good at getting things stuck in the courts forever. Like they're really mm-hmm. good at just like getting things and appealing, appealing, appealing. I mean, what are the chances and in, in you as as someone who is a lawyer who is a constitutional lawyer? I mean, you know, I we obviously have our opinions on this, but like what do you think the chances are of, of this happening in more states? Because I I'm under the impression there's he's like there's like 15 or 20 other states that are considering the same kind of idea of not having him on the ballot. I mean, based on what you told me with that little glimpse, Trump's defense doesn't seem super strong, but at the same time, he's very good at using the courts. So like, what do you think is the percentage wise chance of him being really off the ballot for not only the primaries, but also for the federal elections? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think we're up over 30 of these challenges or or 30 states have challenges like this. I want to say 33 was the number that I last read, but don't quote me on that. And some states have already made calls. Um, So for instance, Arizona already said that Trump can be on the ballot. Um, That Supreme court is a little bit broken. Um, Minnesota um, actually made a really interesting decision where they said, Hey, um, for the primary, we're not going to make this call, but if you want to come back for the general election and say that Trump is not eligible, then we're open to hearing it again, which kind of goes to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation. Um, But so the the real question I think that you're asking is what will the Supreme Court do? Um, And and this is- We're we're heading there, right? I mean, is that that kind of the angle? Oh, it's already there. It is already there. So um, the Colorado Supreme Court, um, what they did was they stayed their opinion, meaning it it doesn't take effect. if Trump wanted to appeal to the Supreme Court, that has already happened. The Trump team submitted their briefing already, uh, or, the, or the questions that they wanted the court. I mean, that case is already advancing. Um, the the question is going to be is what is the court going to do with it? Um, first, I right. think the court is going to take the case. Um, they're going to have to decide this. There's no way that they're going to not be able to decide it. Um, I am. Despite the court claiming to be originalist, despite the court claiming to be textualist, and. Um, I do not think they are going to kick Trump off the ballot is, would be my guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, one of the first things I'm going to be watching for is, is justice Thomas going to recuse Ginny Thomas. His wife was heavily involved in January 6th. John Eastman, who is the legal architect of that debacle is a former clerk of his. Uh, I detail a lot of this in American crusade and a lot more has come to light, right? Ginny supported these crimes. Um, Clarence cannot be impartial and he has to recuse. I don't think he will. Um, that's one thing I'm going to be watching. Uh, and does second, he have to though? Like, can anyone say you have to? Or is that up to him? It is up to him. And this okay. is one of the problems with our Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yes. Um, again, the, the second thing I'm going to be watching is originalism. Right. Again, I, as I said, that Colorado opinion is as originalist and as textualists as an opinion can get. So that this court is going to have to betray that supposed principle to punt this case. Um, and I don't think I said this, so I should just be clear. Originalism is just utter trash. If I didn't say that earlier, let me be clear about that. You did um, not, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the third thing is, are, are they going to have the courage to save their party? And I mean, the conservative justices here and then the country, Will Roberts and Kavanaugh and Barrett, 
find the courage to do the right thing. I mean, politically, I actually think it would be kind of brilliant for them to to take this Colorado opinion and rubber stamp it. Um, it, for a couple different reasons. First of all, it would silence a lot of the critics that I have been working to rile up, uh, talking about how this court has been captured and is essentially an arm of the conservative wing of the Republican Party right now. I mean, Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Barrett all worked on the Bush v. Gore case, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> these are all right. very political lawyers who have been put on the high court. They were put there by Leonard Leo. We've talked about it in the past. I don't need to go into all that right now. I think it would be smart of them. One, it would it would kill a lot of the criticism that the court has been receiving. And two, it would save their party from Trump. And it would be do the, be the right thing, legally speaking, for, for the Constitution and for the country. It would also give them plenty of time, them being the Republican Party, or plenty of time to find a replacement and get replacements on the ballot, right? You get a you get a DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or right. any one of these other options that are still out there. They Vivek. still have <laughs> Vivek, they still Vivek, they still have plenty of time to to, yeah. to mount a legitimate campaign. Um, but the longer you wait, I mean, Trump is going to have this thing sewn up um, not not too long after New Hampshire, probably. Right. Right. Um, so but I think I think that I think that is very unlikely to happen. I, I have small hope uh, in that matter. Um, I, I I I think the court is going to do the wrong thing right here. And I, I, don't, I don't know what it will end up looking like, um, you know, I but I, I don't expect the court to kick Trump off the ballot. I do expect them to use a lot of the kind of sort of highfalutin democracy language that I do not think applies in this context. But um, Well, that actually yeah. brings me to that, that question, yeah. you know, is, is this, this tyranny question? Because yeah. I, can, I can see how far-right folks and maybe even moderate conservatives would say, I don't know, a, a court shouldn't be able to do this to a potential candidate. This sounds like it's government overreach. It sounds like it might be that tyranny that we're talking about. Explain to me how, how something like this where courts are now intervening, um, how that would not be seen as tyrannical. Perhaps you already answered it, but it might be good to hear it again. No, I mean, I think it's I think it's worth taking the time to address it and to address it in depth for sure, because I and I understand I certainly understand the impulse. Um, but again, let's circle back to the entire point of this provision is to remove certain decisions from the voters. It's to say that certain people cannot be trusted with power with higher office, right? Mm. Like people under 35, maybe they're not mature enough. So can't like and it doesn't it doesn't matter how much we want somebody who is 33 years old to be president they cannot be president it doesn't matter how much we loved arnold schwarzenegger as governor and thought he would make an awesome president he cannot be president and and this is the same kind of disability and and also let's not leave out the last sentence of section three if this is so crucial congress can overturn the disability with a two-thirds vote we could also amend the Constitution. But right now, we the people have all already agreed that an insurrectionist cannot serve in higher office. Mm. Um, and again, you know, think back to when this provision was put in place. Again, like there, I am sure, I am positive, we, we know this because of all the, the petitions, that there were plenty of voters, probably the majority, in most southern states that wanted their insurrectionist fathers and brothers to hold public office again. The point was to prevent them from doing so, despite what the voters wanted or the will of the majority, despite the fact that probably overwhelming numbers wanted them there. So Mm. the idea that it's anti-democratic to bar somebody from office, when that person has engaged in the most anti-democratic action there is, attempting to overturn a free and fair election, 
is absurd in a way that I think we're not doing a good enough job of, of pointing out, right? Like the yeah. insurrection was anti-democratic. The consequences of engaging in that insurrection are not. It's sort of a f- around and find out type of situation, right? It's right. It's the f- around that is anti-democratic, not the find out that comes as a result. Um, and yeah. just just one more thing, uh, you know, my, my friend Emily, uh, Emily in your phone on Instagram, um, mm. you know, she put it like this. She said, you know, during the impeachment, we heard that it had to be decided by the courts. And now that a court decided it, they're saying it has to be decided by the people. And when the people decided it, they were saying the election was rigged and engaged in this insurrection. So there's like, we're stuck in this circle where no matter what yeah. we do, we are told that it is the wrong thing. That's what is so um, interesting to me is that there is a loop um, and it doesn't seem like it's really about integrity or about whoever makes the call as long as it's their call. Uh, because yeah. to your point, right? Like, yes, we did vote and the election now we're being told still three years later, almost four, it was stolen and rigged. And there's no way that people like me and whoever else voted for Joe Biden uh, could actually, you know, wanted that over someone like Trump. And then so you're, to your point, it goes to the courts, what should go back to the people or should go back to Congress. It's always kind of moving around. And it's difficult because I completely agree with you. You know, I, I think this kind of goes to our, our lack of of I, I don't really have a good term for it, but there seems to be something in the air, especially in like the American um, media complex, especially in these far right spaces, of like they say things that sound like oh yeah, this is tyranny, but the second you interrogate that thought, like maybe two inches below the surface, you're like wait no. This guy, this guy has joked about being dictator on day one. Like, obviously, he doesn't really care about democracy. His followers don't care about democracy. They kind of care. It sounds like about using democracy to hijack the system to yeah. institute almost a totalitarian or authoritarian structure, which is why we have safeguards for democracy in place to prevent that from happening. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's also like it's, if people want to go down a fun rabbit hole online, like go look up Karl Popper's um, paradox of tolerance. But you know, mm. when in when in doubt, do the right thing. You know, our, yeah. our constitution has this language for some damn good reasons, and it's clear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yes, Trump is popular with a chunk of the country, um, somewhere between a half and a quarter. But so were those Confederate soldiers, and and this is when the idea that we are a nation of laws, like really needs to be front and center. No person, no office is above the law. And that includes, right. that, that mean, even if it means making a lot of people angry, even if it means making a lot of extreme people angry, even if it means making one political party angry, this actually is not about partisan politics. It's about the words of our constitution and the survival of our republic. And, and that's why those words in the 14th Amendment were written in the first place. Um, mm. There's this, yeah, I, I already I already disclaimed that lawyers are the worst. So forgive me for <laughs> lapsing into Latin here. But there, there's there's a legal maxim that that I love, um, and it's fiat justitia, ruat caelum. Um, and I, I talk about this in American Crusade. If people want to read a little bit more, it means do justice though the sky fall. Do justice though the heavens fall. Hmm. Right. And this is the right call on the law. This is, there's no question that this is the right call. And let's not forget that there's that escape valve. Um, if this is truly an unjust application of law, there is an out, right? Congress could do that, but but it's not now. This is an eligibility requirement, just like anything else. If Trump were 33 years old, he would be disqualified. If yeah. we discovered that his births on his birth certificate, that he was actually born in Germany in 1944, and not the U.S. in 1946 uh, because he was the love child of Hitler and Eva Braun, which I am going to write that bestseller 
just so everybody knows <laughs> nobody can steal that idea Jeez, he would be fiction. disqualified okay yeah. like right like, mm-hmm. like right. he violated his oath of office he invited right. a mob to overturn a free and fair election and if if you don't believe that he did nothing for hours for hours when a mob attacked american democracy in his name flying his banners chanting his name yep. threatening to hang elected officials as they hunted them in the capital because he wanted them to be doing that right, right. this is a man who engaged in insurrection and is unfit to hold office. And our constitution is clear on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate you coming on and and making time to kind of explain it to us in in layman's terms, what's actually going on and and what we can look forward to. I mean, I'm I'm asking a lot of my uh, my friends this, but what do you think we're in for uh, for 2024? It's an election year. uh, There's all this stuff happening. I feel like a lot of it's unprecedented. And it seems like, in my opinion, and I like Mm -hmm. making sure the audience knows this is my opinion, but I'm still going to say it. What's happening in these far right spaces only seems to be getting more and more volatile and more and more uh, violent in terms of rhetoric. And we've already seen one January 6th insurrection. I, I'm not my my if, if I was a betting man, I would not bet that we're in for more years of peace. I think that we're going to see more acts like this at some point if we're not careful or if the guardrails of democracy do not kick in ASAP. What, what is, what's your take on, on what we're in for for this year? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Lindsay Sheparinsky, who's a historian uh, whose work I really admire, was just writing about this the other day. Um, and she noted that a failed insurrection, historically speaking, is almost always the precursor to a successful insurrection. So it, it's, in other words, it's very rare that, a, that insurrectionists succeed the first time out is another way of, of thinking no. about that. Um I was deeply concerned about the prospect of violence in the 2022 election. We didn't see that happen. And I think in large part, we didn't see that happen because Trump was not running and not on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, white Christian nationalists are raging against the dying of their privilege. They're losing the, their their power. They're losing the, the deference that they believe they are due in this society. They, they are seeing the changing demographics and they take it as a personal threat. Uh, and the more that happens the more they are seeking a an extreme solution. Now, this is something called dominant group status threat. I believe we've talked about it on, on the pod before. I mean, and that is why you are seeing them turn to to men like Donald Trump and and, yeah. and DeSantis and turn to white Christian nationalism and turn to this violent insurrection and attempting to overturn free and fair elections. I expect that to continue. Um, and I, I think one way that we that we stop that as a nation is by lifting up and sticking to the rule of law. And that means disqualifying Trump from public office under the Constitution and not saying, well, look, he's politically popular. We got to we got to allow this to happen. I would love for it to be the case um, that that this election is, is a referendum on Donald Trump and is so such a huge landslide against him that any uh, that the inevitable claims of fraud that the inevitable lies that he's going to put forward are 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 not believable by anybody um, that's what mm. i would like to see and if you care about this and if what we are saying scares you and i think people should be afraid right now mm-hmm. that is what you should be working to make happen you should be working to make it so that trump loses in a f- landslide that, I mean, that that's that's the best way out of it. Um, and in the meantime, I'll be, you know, trying to do what I can in the courts and talking about what's going on in the courts so that people can understand it. But 
If you're not if you're not working towards defeating Donald Trump in this election yet, you need yeah. to do so now. No, I'm with you on that 100%. Um, Andrew, it's great having you on the show. I'm sure we're going to talk to you quite a few more times this year. No well, doubt about it. You're like my resident to talk lawyer. About? You know, uh, you know yeah. we'll figure something else out maybe yeah. one day. But in the meantime, you know, Christian nationalism is what's for dinner this uh, this whole year. And there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot to talk about. For so sure. thanks for making time. I'll put some links to your work in our show notes, including your books and stuff and our other previous conversations. And we'll, we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good, my friend. Always a pleasure. <laughs> 